Welcome to the Special Needs Kids Are People Too podcast with Amy Bodkin, EDS. Amy is an autistic adult who also happens to be a school psychologist turned special needs consultant and public speaker. She's also a homeschooling mom to two autistic kiddos, a yoga instructor, a card-carrying Trekkie, and an all-around fun person. And last but not least, Amy is an advocate for seeing every child as a person, not a diagnosis. Because a special needs kid is just like any other child, just more so. Here's Amy Bodkin. Hi. I'm Amy Bodkin, coming to you from the blanket fort in my office, and welcome to Special Needs Kids Are People Too. We are going to start the year out with a series of Q&A episodes. Back before I got sick in 2023, we had planned to do a series of Q&A questions. We had asked people in my Facebook group, Special Needs Homeschooling Help with Amy Bodkin, to help us come up with a list of questions that they had that they would like to see answered on the podcast. So we're going to take a few of those each week. We're going to group them into groups that make sense with topics. So the first one, I have three different questions that all kind of ended up being on the same topic. Rachel asks, how do you balance doing everything you can to help your kids without losing sight of just enjoying one another? How do you know when to stop? You're doing enough, even though not everything is solved. And more would be too much. There are so many helps out there, which is great, but so many. Suzanne asks, my daughter had her autism evaluation yesterday. We have a follow-up in two weeks, but I have been in autism Facebook groups for a while, and I feel like a lot of them say, don't do ABA, don't do this don't do that. They are not neurotypical, so don't make them change. Stuff like that. What is the balance between that and what my girl actually needs? Like, she is normal intellectually at nine? Only concrete thinker, though, so like the doctor said, high-level math may be a problem, and I should be concerned. But I don't see her doing college, going into a science field anyway, so is that a big problem? Antonella asks... How do you know where the line is between being understanding and accommodating versus preparing them for the real world? You want your children to feel understood and heard, but the outside world isn't so accommodating. I never know if I'm being too soft or doing more damage than good. Also, as an example, if your child refuses to join any extracurricular activities, although they did pre-pandemic, do you push them? Do you push them to be more extroverted? Or is that not beneficial? So a lot of these questions, if we were going to sum them all up in one word, what we're really talking about here is balance. And I have long liked to say that a balanced person is a happy person. And I do want to explain what I mean by that before we get too much further along. If you think about any of the great musicians or great artists in history, Sometimes the ones that have the greatest amount of genius are also sometimes some of the most unhappy people. And I feel like a lot of that is because they don't have very good balance in their lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should all be perfectly even and well-balanced because that's the problem when we're talking about a neurotypical expectation versus a neurodivergent expectation. If we're trying to expect a neurodivergent person to become neurotypical, so an autistic person to start acting like a 
quote unquote normal person, that is going to not work <laughs> because that's that's not finding their balance. That's finding that's finding someone else's balance and trying to make yourself look like them. And that doesn't work. We have to find our own balance. And nobody ever truly finds a perfect balance within themselves. Balance is something that we're always kind of monitoring. It's kind of like the pendulum of a clock. It swings back and forth. And you want to stay balanced, but you don't stay balanced by staying in one spot. You're constantly swinging from one side to the other to correct for the imbalance. Philosophers say that we do that with life, too. That we swing on a pendulum between faith and reason, for instance. When we swing too hard to faith, we end up with things like the Crusades or the Inquisition. When we swing too hard to reason, we end up with things like the Holocaust, eugenics. So we, too, individually also swing on a pendulum. We're never perfectly imbalanced. You're never, you know, in that perfect ideal routine or that perfect exercise routine or that perfect diet. Like, that's that's elusive. That's not our goal. But we do want to know where we are in that pendulum swing so that we know how to autocorrect, how to compensate for our swing. And there's many different ways that we can do this. It doesn't have to be done all the same way. I like to think about it as mindfulness. Mindfulness is a technique that we've talked about a lot in recent years, especially in the field of counseling and psychology. Mindfulness is observing ourselves and trying to look for the patterns and trying to see what our body's trying to tell us. If we're getting really crabby and we notice that, is our body trying to tell us that we're hungry or we're tired? In this particular case, uh, Rachel had talked about Finding the balance between enjoying your kids, but also helping them. That one's, that one's tricky. One of the things that I think has been most helpful to me is that I think about each person in my house. What's your number one need? Like, what's your greatest need right now? Everyone doesn't get all their needs met, but everyone does get their most important needs met. The ones that are truly necessary, the most important. Because we can't do everything all at once, even for one person. To try and correct multiple things at one time, it takes resources from the brain. And if we try to do too much, then the brain is not going to have enough capacity to do those things as well. So in a lot of ways, it works out better if we pick the one major focus area and focus on that. And then once we get that brought up a little bit, then we can find the next major focus area. In a lot of ways, I've said this before to clients, they find it rather entertaining, but it's also somewhat true. Kids are like cars. Some kids are Ford pickups. You can like roll them down a hill. They're still going to drive. They can take regular unleaded. Not a big deal. And then you got other cars who are your Mercedes Benz. I am a Mercedes Benz. I cannot eat whatever I want. If anything too stressful or whatever happens, then I'm probably not going to function very well. I have a very delicate balance and I know this. I've learned this over the last 40 so years. And just like cars, sometimes our tires can get out of alignment. And when our tires get out of alignment, because, you know, we don't have enough balance, we're swinging too hard in one direction, then we don't get as good a gas mileage. And we struggle a lot more with doing other things. So with your family, I would try to think about which needs are the most important for each person. Can we meet all of those? Sometimes we get to a point where we're meeting the minimum for one or two people because another need is much more critical. 
Right now, we're spending a lot of our time and money and energy on my health problems because my health problems are more critical at this moment. And we're doing what we can to continue to provide appropriate medical support for the kids. But this isn't the time I'm going to be going, let's do Invisalign. (laughs) Because I don't need another expense at the moment. Like, for example, with their teeth, they have been using the Vivos appliance, which is like a mouth guard that kind of expands your palate. Very successfully, by the way. It's similar to Myobrace. But but we're going to continue with that, even though we might need to do Invisalign at some point, because we just have a limited amount of resources that we can put into something like that right now. So you've got to think about, what do I have to work with? What are the major needs for each person? And how can we try and meet some of those major needs? Now, some of the other needs that we're working on meeting right now for our kids are things like providing more structure and organization in our home because our last nine months have been extremely rough. I took my own advice and gave the kids an extended school break. I've told parents that many times that when our mental health is tanked, that is not the time that we push on school. That's honestly the time we set back from expectations and try to deal with the things that are upsetting us and and causing us to struggle with our mental health. So I'd make a list personally. Like I'd write down each family member and the things that you see as needs of each family member. And then I would try to prioritize the top one or two for most everybody. Like I said, it may, sometimes one person may take more priority than others, but I feel like everybody deserves to have their basic needs met. Like feeding them, clothing them, sheltering them, those kinds of things are required. But how we do that, we do have some flexibility. And there are some things that will be more important at different points in time. Like there are some things, like I mentioned earlier, Invisalign is one of those things that we can put off. That doesn't have to be a crisis right now because we have other crises that are more important right now. But providing some structure and emotional support for my kids right now, yeah, that's critical. That's their most basic need right now. Mine is seeing lots and lots of doctors. (laughs) When we look back at Suzanne's question, my daughter had her autism evaluation yesterday, and she's talking about how in a lot of autism groups, she's hearing, don't do ABA, don't do this, don't do that. They're not neurotypical, so don't make them change. Okay, so yes, it is good not to try to change your kids. Probably by this point in your life, most people know that you should never go into a relationship expecting to change the other person. That never goes well. I have yet to find a time where it has gone well. But you hear teenagers assuming that all the time. They're young. They don't know that yet. So yeah, changing somebody, that is not the goal. However, that doesn't mean that we never have any expectations whatsoever. I do try to let my kids guide a lot of the expectations themselves because they know themselves better than I do. They are the expert on them. And I think that's really the critical thing. If we think of our children as being the expert on themselves, that really gets rid of a lot of problems and questions that we'll have because our kids aren't coming into this world with the same baggage we already have. We've lived a good chunk of our lives already and we have baggage from that. No matter how awesome your life has been, everybody's got baggage somewhere, a bias of some kind. And our kids have less of that because, well, they're the new kids on the block and they also know themselves better than anybody else. So it really pays to listen to them as much as possible. But there are some things that are expectations. And I try to think of those very carefully. Years ago, I created a list of principles for myself. Things that I felt like were important for us 
as a family. Our principle for education is that we feed our minds every day in some form, a varied diet. My expectations for health was that we give our bodies what it needs every day, whatever that might be. You know, they're basic things, basic ideas, basic goals, basic ways of seeing our world, our home, that can apply in any situation. They're very broad. They don't tell you how to do it. They tell you what your end goal is. But then I also have rules. We have three rules in our house. They're pretty basic. We've always had three rules in our house because I can't remember and enforce more than three at a time anyways. Most of the time they've been the same. When they were really little, they were different. When they were really little, it was things like we stay out of the fireplace, we sit on our bottoms in our chairs. Uh, oh, and also we leave the furniture assembled because we had problems with kids climbing into fireplaces, jumping off chairs, and taking the furniture apart. So those were our rules then. And rules, those are those things that we need to be able to function. The rules I have are those that I need for our home to be able to function well. And I try to be very careful about what I choose because like I said, I never give more than three. And I don't recommend ever giving more than five. After that, most people have a hard time managing to remember and consistently enforce all of them. And if you don't know what the rules are, if your kids don't know what the rules are, then how are you going to consistently enforce them? And how are they going to be effective? Probably not going to be. So as our kids got older and quit taking apart the furniture and quit climbing into the fireplace, <laughs> we started having the set of rules we have now. And those rules are, and they're more abstract. When they were little, it was very concrete and obvious. You know, this is, this is what you need to do. Now it's, we are kind, we are truthful, and we do our work. Very little of that is concrete, but that's okay. Because used to be, if they climbed in the fireplace, they went in the pack and play. Because it was very dangerous for them to climb into the fireplace. Because what if I had a fire going one day? So that was something that we needed to work on, that there's certain places you can't go. And that's a safety issue. So when it comes to being kind, what happens is if someone does something that's unkind, then we have a conversation about it. Hey, that wasn't very kind. This is how so-and-so felt. This is how they interpreted it. What can we do to make it right? And we try to have those conversations in private. I try very hard not to correct my kids on any rule or have any discussion about it in front of other people because kids get embarrassed too. So we have those conversations in private. We try not to have them in the heat of the moment. We try to like have some calm down time if we need to. My favorite is to send my kids to their room because that's their happy place. And I will bring them a cup of hot tea and play their favorite music outside the door or whatever I need to do to help them find a sensory calming space. Now, a lot of times they can do it for themselves these days, but when it's been particularly difficult, yeah, I'm going to do those things because I am teaching them how to soothe themselves by bringing them what they need. It's why my daughter is soothed by a cup of water. Every single time she would go to the doctor and get a shot or had to have some kind of treatment, I would hand her a cup of water. Anytime she cried, I handed her a cup of water. So water is her calming thing. That makes her feel better. And we can all have those things, learning to figure out what those things are for each person and helping us be able to find and access them when we need them. That's critical. So it's more problem solving. It's not getting in trouble. I'm not putting them in the pack and play because, you know, you weren't kind. <laughs> They're too big for it anyways now. And when people aren't truthful, that's another big one that's really important for me. Kindness and truthfulness are something that I don't function well without. My kids know this. 
I do not do well. If someone is untruthful to me, I have a very difficult time trusting them. And I think a lot of that has to do with being autistic. I have to be able to trust the people in my environment. And since I do not seem to have certain types of perceptions that maybe other people have socially, I have to really depend on people being truthful to me. So that's another really big one in our house. And it's another one that we do talk about because being truthful, it's not quite as black and white as you told a lie, you told the truth. What does it mean to be truthful? Are you misrepresenting information? Um, And so it also can end up being a conversation. That one does tend to lead to more of a consequence at some point because if I can't trust you to tell me the truth, then there's other things I'm not going to be able to trust you with. And they know that about me. I've told them. This is why we have that rule. And that's what rules are for. They're so that people can function in a home together. And our last one is we do our work. So everybody does have things that are theirs to do. It changes. Sometimes what their work is, is just getting their own individual schoolwork done. Sometimes that's it. Sometimes it includes chores. Things that they take on because, well, you chose to get that cat, you have to feed and like empty its litter box. You want to eat home-cooked meals every night and mom and dad are really stressed out because mom's really sick? Well, we're going to need a little bit of help with like unloading the dishwasher and things like that. I try to make any work that they have meaningful to them. I don't want them having to just do work because, well, I need help, so you're going to do it. I want them to be learning something from it. I want it to have value and meaning to them. Uh, So taking care of pets that they have acquired, cleaning their room and bathroom, picking their stuff up from the rest of the house. And I find that a lot of times they're a lot more willing to be helpful to me when I need it if I'm not constantly encroaching on them to do things just because I need help. There are times where we need help. That That's true. But I also try to keep in mind the decisions that I'm making as an adult. What are the consequences of the choices I make as an adult on the expectations I have to have of my children? Do I really want a house that size? If I get one that big, am I going to need help cleaning it? If we spend money on these activities, am I going to be able to take care of other things? Like, well, maybe we could pay someone to take care of the house. Well, if we do that, do we have enough money for activities or do we need to cut corners on activities? Or do we want to do activities and then people help out around the house so that we can do that? And including kids in on those conversations as they're able to understand and participate in them can be really helpful because it helps them see why we do things the way we do. I think that's another important aspect of finding balance, especially with our expectations of kids. I would not worry about age-appropriate expectations. Kids grow as they're ready. They're like plants. If you tried to put a plant on a schedule, it doesn't work. You look at a plant, you listen to what it's trying to tell you. If it seems a bit wilted, maybe it needs more water. Maybe it needs more sun. Find what it needs, and when it has what it needs, it will do well. And kids are a lot the same way. So we want to think about where are the areas that are a struggle? Um, What are the things that need to happen in our home for us to be able to function? What meets our needs? How can we do that? These are conversations that we have. I'm not worried about where we are going, like when we will get where we're going. I am worried more about where are we right now and what's the next step. That's the goal. And I think one of the hardest things um, that we saddle kids with when they're developing 
is we try to make them feel all of this pressure. Maybe we don't try to, but we do. We make them feel all this pressure that, oh, I have to like do this and I have, I'm almost 16. I need to be able to drive. I need to be able to do this. I need to be able to take care of myself, all these things. And there's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on kids in general, but then when you go ahead and also have an autistic child, well, that pressure just went way up because we were already like two years behind in a lot of our development. That seems to be about the average I see. No matter how successful you are in school, most of the time autistic kids seem to develop about two years behind on average, which makes sense because our brains wire up differently. So it takes time for our brains to wire up the way they're going to wire, which is different from the way everyone else's brains wire up. So I'm not too worried about when we're getting where we're going. It's more, this is where we're at. This is the next step. Eventually, you're going to reach a point where your kids will have a better idea of what direction they want to go in. But that's not something you're going to be able to figure out yourself. They're going to have to figure that out themselves. And it will become apparent as they get older, especially if we're good about giving them opportunities to explore the things they love and to be themselves and to learn what they like to do, how they like to do things and what they don't like and what they don't like to do. It doesn't mean that you get to drop math entirely. (laughs) Math is a way that we communicate, but it doesn't mean that we have to push kids to be at a certain level by a certain age. It is okay to keep repeating concepts, trying different curriculums, until we get to a point where we're comfortable. We don't want to push people to move on to things they're not ready for. Same way we don't want to push kids to cope with things and to do school when they're dealing with big, big, big feelings. Like with my kids, this the last nine months, I've been awfully sick and there have been so many hard things. Um, the attack in Israel was also very hard for them because they were exposed to some anti-Semitism. And we have friends who have been affected. So, you know, all of those kinds of things, those can be really big feelings. Like when your kids went through the pandemic and we were like, yeah, keep calm and carry on with online schooling. What? That was not a good plan. What we should have done is said, hey, you know what? You're getting a once in a lifetime experience of a global pandemic. We're going to let you go home and have a long summer break and have a good time and focus on support services that we can provide to families that need them. Why put all that extra pressure on kids and families when they're just trying to survive something brand new? That's a lot of extra stress. And then if we look back at Antonella's question, where the line is between understanding and accommodating and preparing for the real world versus accommodating, that's another great question. And it is a little bit about what we were talking about a moment ago. Eventually, children will grow up, but we do not know what that will look like. And I think the thing is, is that it scares us because we don't know what it will look like. We know if they continue living, they will grow up, but we don't know for sure that we will have them with them for the rest of our lifetime. We don't know that they will continue to live and grow up. That's an unknown. We don't know what they're going to want to do. We don't know what their skills are going to be. We don't know if they're going to be severely injured at some point in their childhood to the point that they won't be able to do things that previously we thought they could. There's a lot of things we don't know. The only place you can parent from is right now. You cannot go back and undo the mistakes of the past and you cannot prevent the troubles of the future. That's why I really like to focus on mindfulness when it comes to personal balance. Where am I right now? What's the next step? Those are the questions we need to ask. Yes, they will have to learn things, but they're going to learn things. 
And some things that we think they may need to learn, they might not need to learn. A lot of times people think that folding clothes is important. There was a period of time where we had a clean clothes basket and a dirty clothes basket. And that's all. We did not fold them. We just tossed them into the clean or the dirties. We put them on early enough that the wrinkles shook out by the time we left. So, you know, lots of families do things different ways. People in different cultures do things different ways. And your child may choose a culture different from the culture you like to be in. Maybe they choose a different religious culture. Maybe they choose a different region or country entirely. Maybe they choose a different socioeconomic status level or class. I grew up in an upper middle class type environment, but I preferred being in a lower middle class environment. It was more comfortable. You get to choose what environment you get to be in. You get to choose what you're going to do moving forward in your life. I had a client one time who was very concerned about her son because he was very lazy. And after I met with him, I'm like, so you don't have a lazy kid. You have an engineer kid. (laughs) Because in order to be a good engineer, you have to be somewhat lazy because your whole goal is to find ways of being, like making work more efficient and not having to work as hard. Like that's the whole goal. (laughs) So depending on your child, who they are, what it's going to come as they grow. So the important thing is to pay attention to who are they right now? What do they need? What do they want? What's the next step? Are you homeschooling a student or want to be homeschooling a student who learns a little different from the average student? I'd highly recommend checking out a Charlotte Mason Plenary. A Charlotte Mason Plenary is a homeschool company focused on the philosophy of Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mason was an educational philosopher in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who recognized the importance of not just educating a child body and mind, but also educating them as a whole person with a diet rich in the humanities, the studies of what makes us better human beings. It is not enough to know everything. You also have to know how to use that knowledge in a way that contributes positively to the world. A Charlotte Mason Plenary has all sorts of resources for helping you do Charlotte Mason your way. We also have form guides over there that allow you to plan a customized curriculum in three easy steps. And I even partnered with a Charlotte Mason Plenary to create a developmental form guide that goes with these guides that explains to you where to place your child and how to make all sorts of adaptations for different types of learners. Go check it out at cmplenary.com. And as you mentioned in the question, if they refuse to join extracurricular activities, even though they did pre-pandemic. So the question becomes, why are they not participating in extracurricular activities? Is it because they have more anxiety post-pandemic? That's really common. So that could totally do it. And it would definitely impact um, extracurricular activities. Your kid's also a different age post-pandemic. That was almost four years ago now. My kids did a whole lot more extracurricular activities before the pandemic. After the pandemic, they were significantly older. They had kind of shifted into those late middle school, early high school years where they kind of had established their friends and their comfort level and their interests. And they didn't have as as much of a need to explore all the different options out there. So sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes it's that we've developed some social anxiety and we need a little bit of help getting over the hump. And there are some kids that do need that nudge every once in a while. I've seen that with my own kids once or twice. Generally speaking, they are not ones that need to be nudged. Um, And most kids I meet, most of the time, they don't need to be nudged. 
every once in a while, there's a kid that left to their own devices will not move forward and sometimes needs a little bit of encouragement or a nudge, but not really pushing so much. You know, I like these three foods. I will eat these three foods. I will not try anything else, no matter how long you leave me with my favorite three foods. Okay, yes, but it would be great for us to explore some other options at some point because it's going to expand our options. It's going to help us when we come into um, health-related issues because then we can uh, help treat our body by what we feed it. Because, like I said earlier in this podcast episode, kids are kind of like cars. We run on gas. Well, we run on food. And what you put in greatly impacts the health of your body. So it's important to know when to nudge. But those nudges have to be a nudge. Like, really carefully nudging. Like, problem solving together. Okay, so you don't like this food. Have you ever considered that it's not that you don't like the food, but that it's you don't like the way it's prepared? Pretty much every single child I know of who hates a food, either they're allergic to it, which is a good reason to not like the food, or they just don't like the way it's prepared, and they haven't had it prepared in a way that they like. I once worked with a child who had some food sensitivities. He Two of the foods that were like really big ones for him were shrimp and sweet potatoes. So I taught him the old southern custom. If you got something that you don't like and it doesn't taste too good, you fry it and sauce it, it'll make anything taste good. And once he realized that that was a coping strategy he could use, you know, if he's out to eat with family or something and, you know, they're at, say, I don't know, the shrimp basket or something, he can get fried shrimp, coat it in ketchup, then it's tolerable. So just knowing that there's ways of eating things that we find more tolerable, sometimes we develop more of a taste for them as we go along. Um, For sweet potatoes, I made him a sweet potato pie, and then we coated it in whipped cream. He's like, this is great. I'm like, yeah, and it's sweet potato. It's not that you don't like sweet potato. It's that you just didn't like the way it was prepared. And as we get used to eating it in ways we like, then we may develop other ways we like eating that food, too. I felt the same way about spinach growing up, which I know a lot of kids don't like spinach. But the reason I didn't like spinach is because my mom liked to put a little lemon juice in it, and I hated it. But I liked fresh spinach fine, like spinach salad, but I didn't like it cooked. So when I grew up and found out you could just like boil it, I was like, oh, I like this. (laughs) So a lot of times when it's come to like food where I'm needing to, you know, work with my kids on, okay, well, we need to like get some more food options because you've got some kind of a, because you've got some kind of a health issue that needs to be addressed and we need to support that healing process. Then a lot of times we might even have a conversation about it. You know, we need to find ways to get this into your body because this is going to help you feel better. Let's think of some ideas of things you might like. One of the things I discovered about my son was that he really likes crunchy textures. He doesn't like summer squash and zucchini, not because he doesn't like them. He doesn't like them because I usually pair them usually soft, um, sautéed, because that's what I like. I like soft textures. He doesn't. But if I turn them into chips, he'll eat them really fast. So being aware of that, um, I used to put a lot of things into smoothies too. Kind of like putting whipped cream on sweet potato pie. Anything that can hide it helps sometimes. But you also don't want to break a kid's trust either. And that's that's why I'm saying nudges are important. Pushing and tricking kids is not. And sometimes they don't want to see what's going in the smoothie. 
and that's okay. But if they feel like you're trying to trick them or manipulate them, then that can go poorly. But a lot of times you can put a lot of, you know, good healthy stuff in a smoothie and it tastes great and then kids are more willing to eat it. So, I mean, yes, we kind of diverged into food and those kinds of things, but food is also a big part of social expectations because a lot of socialization is done with food. And food is also one of those areas where we see a lot of push and pull between parents and kids. There is no manual for parenting. It comes down to the relationship you have with your child. And I think in a lot of ways it really helps. Maybe your child isn't your best friend, but do you treat your child as your best friend? Like, listen to what they have to say, respect their feelings, respect their opinions. A lot of times we don't treat children like we would our best friend. We treat them like a lower life form sometimes. Sometimes we don't even try to explain things to children when they're small because we assume that they can't understand. So it's really important to capitalize on that relationship because yes, you're the parent. Yes, you're the adult. Yes, you're the responsible party, but they have a whole lot more knowledge about who they are than you do. It's just a matter of helping them uncover that knowledge. And that works best when we do it together as a team. I hope that gave you guys some food for thought. That's a really difficult question, and it's it's not easy. One of the things I would like to encourage all of you to do, I have a membership group on my website, and if you join the membership group, we have online weekly gatherings. We have free yearly testing that's included to help us measure our kids as they're growing to make sure that we're not missing anything. You also get access to me personally. And I think that that may help, especially if you're navigating some of this and you're feeling a bit lost. It's open to anybody. Um, We say it's our special needs membership because everybody in life at some point has a special need, a need that falls outside the average. And we all need support at some point. And by acknowledging that, we are bringing ourselves into an eye-to-eye relationship with each other instead of trying to lift some people on a pedestal that's too high to reach or trample others beneath our feet. So I think that that could be a really good way of getting some ongoing support because even parenting, a lot of that is learned relationally. I've I've learned so much from other people I have been around. I would say probably I've learned more from interacting with other people and having other people ask questions and conceptualizing different ideas. Um, I've also been influenced by quite a few philosophers. Um, Charlotte Mason being my number one, she's probably had the biggest influence on my parenting. A lot of times when I go to a conference, I tell people, if you're only going to get three books to go to a desert island, I would take the Bible, Charlotte Mason, and a book on how to build a boat. And the reason is, is because both of those first two books have so much timeless wisdom. And three, I don't want to be stuck on the island forever. I think books that focus on children being people. How do we respect children as people? How do we listen to what they have to tell us? It's not easy for them to tell us. They don't always have the words. We have to listen with our whole body, our eyes, our ears, everything, and try to help them uncover these things. That, that's what parenting's all about. We're exploring our kids. We're exploring our relationship with them. We're exploring ourselves. We learn so much more about ourselves through parenting. I hope this was helpful today. I'm looking forward to being with you guys next time. Thanks for joining me. We hope you had fun listening to today's episode and gained some new insights into the wonderful variety of people in our world. You can find out more about Amy's advocacy work at amybodkin.com. And remember, special needs kids are people too.